0: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. My name is Carlita Gatsi. I'm very excited to introduce today Dr. Randy Coleman. He is the founder and president of Learning Works for Kids and an educational technology company that specializes in using video games to teach executive functioning and academic skills. For the past 30 years, Dr. Coleman has also been a clinical director and president of South County Child and Family Consultants. Private practice that specializes in the assessment of children with learning disorders and attention def- difficulties. Dr. Coleman is the author of numerous essays and also book chapters on the use of digital technology for improving executive functioning skills in children. His current research projects include the development of a parent and teacher scale for assessing executive functioning skills in children and a large survey study examining how children with ADHD and autism use popular video games and apps. Once again, I am pleased to welcome Dr. Randy Coleman.
1: Thank you, Khalida, Karen, and, and the rest of Chad for inviting me. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to speaking to everybody uh, about this important area, because if you have a child who's growing up in today's world, I can almost guarantee you that they're spending a lot of time playing video games and using technology and being involved in social media. I want to make a disclaimer, though, first, and it's not about business or or about any background kinds of things. My disclaimer is that I, myself, am not truly a gamer. I am not the person who uh, loves playing Fortnite. I tried, actually, because I wanted to know what the kids were doing. Uh, But I don't love doing that, but what I've recognized over the past 25 to 30 years and how I got interested in this whole field was that the kids that I'm really interested in, and those are primarily kids with ADHD, with executive functioning difficulties, uh, with learning disabilities, with autism spectrum disorders, that these kids are fully engaged with their technologies. In fact, these kids tend to be more engaged. Than what we call typically developing kids, other kids. So these kids are really involved in that. One message I want to get across to the folks that are here, and I'm assuming that we have a lot of parents and educators, is that all of us really need to know more about this. All of us need to be more involved. Even if we're not gamers, we can ask questions, we can listen, we can observe, we can be involved because when kids are spending as much time as they are with these games and technologies, we ought to know something. If our kids were spending eight hours a day meditating or doing yoga, we'd want to know more about it. Well, our kids are spending six hours a day if they're under the age of 12, about nine hours a day if they're teenagers. And by the way, adults are spending about the same amount of time, nine hours a day, using technology, so we ought to know more about that. So what I hope you'll get out of today is is a few different things. The first thing I want you to understand is that I'm not going to be just talking simply about video games, although I will frequently reference video games in good part because most of the older research is about video games, but nowadays there's so many other ways that kids are using technology. The second thing is that I hope you'll understand why these technologies are so powerful for kids with ADHD. A third thing that I think many people will recognize and already know, in fact my experience in doing these types of webinars, is that I'll talk about many of the benefits of using technology if they're used appropriately, modestly, and and to fit a child's needs, but one of the things is that there are some real risks with these things and lots of kids are spending an awful lot of time doing it. And then I hope that you'll be able to have a better sense of choosing, using, balancing and limiting technology and video game use for your kids. So why would we use video games and technology and any type of other social media to help kids? Well, the simplest thing I would say is because that's what they're doing. So. Can we use that as a tool to help these kids? And that's really, again, how I got my interest in this. I found these kids were the experts in their, in their homes. They were the ones, years ago, they were the ones helping the, what was before the DVR players, the DVD players. And before that, there was the video video cassette, the VCRs. They were helping the kids, with VC, they helping their parents with their VCRs. And when, when parents began having cell phones in the 90s, uh, they were the ones who knew how to play with a cell phone and teach their parents how to use it. They were the technology experts. So kids with ADHD have been involved with these media for many years. And one of the things that we should want to recognize is that there are some qualities of video games and screen-based things that mimic many of the interventions that we primarily use for kids with ADHD. So if you look at this chart here, you'll see a little bit about how these, how games and technology provide immediate feedback. Well, that's certainly one of the things that we know that kids with ADHD benefit from if we want to help them with their behaviors we recognize that they're very engaging. If we have an ADHD kid, or adult for that matter, engaged and attentive attentive and intentioned, in other words, intending to wanting to do something, that they're going to be very focused. In fact, they may have problems in, in transitioning from that and leaving that. So games and technology really provide many of the types of things that help kids with ADHD. There's a couple of overlooked parts of this that are also really important to recognize. Video games and technology provide uh, an opportunity for failure that's private. So many kids with ADHD don't want to try something new, or they don't want to try too hard, because if they try too hard and they fail, It looks bad, they feel badly about themselves. They already feel badly about themselves oftentimes at school and other situations because they're having problems inhibiting their behaviors, they're having problems and staying focused and getting their schoolwork done. They feel bad enough. With video games, it's private. So as a result, many times, kids who might not normally keep trying and persisting and sustaining their effort and sustaining their attention will sustain that to a video game. A second thing is that almost by their very nature. The way video games teach kids how to do things, they require that children be flexible. They, they require that children make decisions and change their decisions and transition and do things differently. And again, this is a very powerful, important skill for kids with ADHD. When, when a psychologist design, de- designs a behavior management program for a child, or when an educator looks to see, how are we are going to teach this child with ADHD? Here are the, some of the things that we want to do. Point of performance invention. We want to give an, we want the thing to happen right when something else happens. That's exactly what happens in a video game. The immediacy of the feedback is right what happens in a video game as well. It's powerful, it's engaging. Again, you know, this is you know where we have kids being attentive because they're they're engaged. I, I actually call it engagement, that kids, when kids and that's engagement and just change the second G. To an M, they're in And when kids are in they're in this sense of flow where they're there, they're not thinking about anything else, they're totally focused in what they're doing, they're absorbed. It's it's kind of a a digital absorption, if you will. The other couple of things about video games that are very similar to what we want to do in the real world when we're we're helping kids with ADHD is we want to modify something to a child's needs, to their strengths, to their weaknesses. In particular, we oftentimes want to work their weaknesses, to help develop those skills. A lot, the last thing here is that we want to use certain ways of approaching kids with ADHD to make, and especially kids with ADHD with learning disabilities as well, is that we want to use particular types of teaching strategies that like, might preview a situation, might help the child set goals, um, and then might help them in thinking about what they're doing and generalizing from what they're doing to the real world. Now that's something that's typically not in a part of most video games and technologies, and my whole mission at Learning Works for Kids. And I would really encourage you to go look at our website if you're interested in games and technologies and kids with ADHD. There's not a better place to go look for that information than at, than at, than at LearningWorksForKids.com, and you'll be able to see our our uh, logo and URL at the end of the the session. There's not a better place to go look for that because what we do there is we use games and technologies as teaching tools. We don't expect a kid to play a video game and learn all these skills from a game. If we did, I'd be out of business in terms of my clinical practice. The kids wouldn't be coming to visit me. They'd, They'd be playing video games. They'd be learning all the skills, especially the executive functioning skills that they needed to, but they're not. But they can if we get parents, educators, Uh, clinicians involved, and also if we can start designing new games that help with that kind of thing, and also developing new neurotechnologies that work on those kinds of things. So that idea of taking what kids are doing in the game and bring it into the real world is important. I talk about it being making game-based learning into real-world skills. That's what our mission is at learning works for kids and and it's really a mission that I think many parents should take on as well how can they take what their kids are doing spending so much of their time and energy engaged in and make it more useful and productive for them as well as it being fun because the fact that it's fun is why they want to do it so why would kids rather play Minecraft and I'm using Minecraft and I and I and I'll show you a brief couple of slides on Minecraft later here uh, as, as an example here because many parents of all kinds of kids know how much they love Minecraft. I think it's particularly true for, in my experience, at least, with kids with ADHD and kids on, on the spectrum, that they love Minecraft. Part of Minecraft is that it's that they that they can set their own goals, they can work at their own pace, uh, they get the, this kind of feedback. Why do kids, you know, really want to do this? What what happens, uh, you know, in Minecraft and other and other in other games? One of the things that happens, by the way, may be biological. Uh, we sometimes talk about almost there being a dopamine rush, uh, dopamine. You know, that's one of the reward neurotransmitters that go on that, that are used in our brains. Which we have some deficiencies in, in, in children and adults who have ADHD in terms of how it's transmitted across the the uh, neuro the uh, uh, axes of the, of the neurons. That there seems to be an increase in dopamine when people are playing video games. So there may be a biological part to this as well. And when we think about ADHD as a disorder of intention, as Russell Barkley and Thomas Brown have talked about, in other words, it's not so much that it's attention that's a problem, it's that if an individual wants to do something, if it engages their brain, if it lights up their brain, if you will, and you can see this kid whose brain is lit up, if it lights up their brain, they can pay attention. The, you know, their their brain is working normally, in fact, this is one of the reasons why Many people, uh, and and for example, uh, Dr. Halliwell, who's been very open about this, believe that ADHD is not always a deficit, in fact oftentimes it's a strength, because if there's something that you have an ADHD child being interested in, they can do really well with it. Oftentimes I feel like the best advice I ever give parents with ADHD is I say to them, your job over the course of the next X number of years is to nudge your child towards those things that he or she loves to do. And if you can nudge a child with ADHD towards the thing that they love to do, they will get good at it and they will want to do it and they will be focused and they will be successful. So that's sort of what we want to try to figure out how to do. We find video games is a great place for that. not everybody can be a video game player, although increasingly there are people who are making their living playing video games. In fact, there are people who are making their, vid- their living making videos of other people playing video games. Those are called Let's Play videos. By the way, if you want to see some great Let's Play videos for kids with ADHD, go to our Learning Works for Kids YouTube channel, our Let's Play Station, because they're all about short videos, a lot of them about Minecraft, Portal, Portal 2, uh, uh, Battlefront, Starfront Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront. And they, all these are let's play videos are fun, just like the other ones that the kids might watch, except that we talk a little bit about the executive functions that they use in the video game. So the kid might start thinking about how the skills that they use when they're playing these games might help them in the real world. So it's a really kind of powerful way and a fun way for kids to learn about that. Most digital play is good, too much is bad. So let me let me clarify this. Play is good. Kids in today's world need to play. Much of the play that they have is what we call digital play. That's what I'm referring to when I talk about all the screen-based play. all this kind of screen-based play. Let's think about it as digital play. Digital play is not bad because that's how kids learn. They learn from their play. The problem that we have, unfortunately, is that digital play is so alluring, it's so immersive, it's so engaging, that oftentimes that's all kids want to do. So they have sort of neglected physical play, social play, creative play, unstructured play, something I'm calling mindful play, where they're more present-oriented. They don't want to do those things as much because digital play is so engaging, it just pulls them away from everything. And that's one of the biggest things. So that's why many parents, and I as well, get concerned about kids playing too much video games, playing too much uh, with their, watching their screens or, or binging on Netflix or whatever that is, using screens, is that that play is just, and it's, and it's gotten worse because it's gotten to the point where it's everywhere. So maybe 20 years ago, when you wanted to play video games and kids played too much video games, they had had to play it on a console, they had to play it on their uh, PlayStation 2, and the only place they could play is in the TV, in the living room, and that was it. Well, now it's everywhere. And I'm an old man at this point, so even though I have a big phone, I don't want to do those things on my telephone, but kids do. Kids spend a lot of time doing their stuff, everything's on their phone. So the, the, their phones are ubiquitous, they're everywhere that they go, they're, for some kids, I think they're surgically attached to them. And so that's what they're doing, and they're not just playing games, I mean, for younger kids are spending a lot of time on YouTube, you know, older kids are spending more of their time texting and, and, and involved in social media, you know, nowadays, uh, one of the big concerns is Fortnite, kids playing hours and hours of Fortnite, if you've got a teenager, and I, by the way, I recommend Fortnite for basically 12 and up, I mean. And I see a lot of younger kids playing it. I, I, I'm I'm uncomfortable with it. I, I I just don't feel like it's it's even though it's rated teen and it's supposedly uh, tame. I don't think it. I don't particularly think it is. Uh, but as is, as in almost anything else, you know, too much video game play, too much media time is not so good. I mean, that could be the same thing for a kid who spends too much time running or even too much time reading, so they don't have time to do other things. There's some things that we'd rather have our kids do than others. Now, interestingly, there's been a, a variety of studies that all kind of s- surround and say the same kind of thing, that playing video games using that kind of media is actually healthy for kids in small doses. So a great study done over in Great Britain uh, by a guy by the name of Andrew Shabilsky found out, and, there, and this has been subsequently repeated, that playing about an hour a day of video games was actually much better for mental and physical health than kids who played three hours a day. Well, that makes sense. So those kids who are playing three, or more, three hours or more a day are, are struggling. What was fascinating was the kids who played for an hour a day actually were healthier on the measures of physical health, psychosocial, and emotional health than the kids who didn't play at all. So makes sense to me in that what are kids talking about when they go to school? Some of the games and technologies that they're using. Who are they playing with after school, oftentimes in their own homes? They're playing with their friends online in a game or or some type of technology, or communicating with them. Uh, if you if you watch kids playing with with their friends, they're talking to them. It's not solo activities anymore. So so a little bit of it is good. Too much is a problem. A couple of other things to to consider is the content. The content matters. As I was saying before, I'm not big on 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 Fortnite, Call of Duty, all those kinds of games. I mean, you know, for for younger kids. Just no. For older kids, well, they still don't like it, but you know, they're going to play it. Uh, I, can, I can tell you that when my now 24-year-old son was, I believe he was 12, wanted to play Call of Duty, one of the versions of it, I don't know, can't remember which one it was. He said he wanted to get it. I said, no way. I said, I don't want that in my house. He said, well, I play it at my friend Zach's house all the time. I said, well, you know, I like Zach, I like Zach's parents, and when you go there, I can't stop you from playing it, but I don't need it in my house. And so I think you kind of have to set limits on, on these kinds of things, um, and so you have to look at what's good. What's good screen time? I mean, music is good screen time. Uh, I would tell you that playing Minecraft uh, to a limited basis is good screen time. Uh, making it social makes it better screen time. I think that if we're gonna if we're also gonna think about these kinds of things, we have to think about how much and the balance matters. How much you do matters, and the first place you have to look is not your kids but yourself. If you're spending. What we see happening with most adults, which is about nine and a half hours of screen time a day, and about seven and a half hours, of that is what we call discretionary screen time. It's not work; it's discretionary. That's a lot. I met a lot of adults who are, who are Netflix bingers. Uh, if that's what we do, well, our kids are going to think that that stuff's okay. And so that balance matters. My overall approach to this, when, I, when parents talk to me about, well, how do we do something about this? I talk to them about. Establishing what I call a healthy and balanced play diet. A play diet involves having all those other kinds of play activities in a person's life. Not just a kid's life, by the way, an adult's life. So, you know, if all you're doing is spending your time in front of screens, then you should get outside. You should go hiking and take walks. You should find a hobby that you know involves you inside. You should make sure you're doing social things and 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 getting together with friends. I mean, you should have some time for unstructured time. You should have some time for reading. You've got to be able to have some time to do those kinds of things so you can model that kind of stuff uh, for your kids. And having a healthy play diet is not the easiest thing in the world to do. I don't have time to get into that today. I write a lot about that on our website. Uh, but the, but the, the primary thing I would say to you is that you need to put a lot of effort into it. You need to be involved in your kids' screen life. And by the way, if you ask kids who are you overusing screens about, what they think about this instead of just kind of trying to take it away a lot of times if you have a discussion with the kids that's the beginning of them kind of getting a better uh, play diet and having more balance many teenagers recognize this. some of the studies that have been done recently show how 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 cognizant and aware these kids are that they're actually spending too much time with it and in today's world it's understandable i mean we all get bored quickly uh, you know, you know. think about yourself as an adult. You channel, so if you go from one thing to another. Uh, I know sometimes I'll get a book from the library, and you know, I get them for free on the library, so I have them on my iPad. I read a lot now on my iPad. I used to never do that, uh, but I tell you what, if I don't like the book after 10 or 12 pages, I might stop the book and go on and start something else because we get bored so easily. That's sort of what the world, uh, the world our kids are growing up with, so this having screens, having notifications, having that kind of stuff going all the time is incredibly powerful for them. I actually believe that some of the move that we're seeing now in the United States at least about lots of people looking at yoga, meditation, trying to do those things is in some ways to counteract this non-stop media and and technology that's in our face and these notifications all the time that we need some quiet time and and people are starting to recognize that their brains are telling them that. there are plenty of problematic behaviors in video game play with kids with ADHD. So we talked before about you know, an hour a day being a really good median for, for doing that. Uh, there's been some data. This is one of the studies, that the top study there talks about that kids who spent with ADHD who spent more than an hour a day were more inattentive. So uh, we can see other kinds of things. This is also true of uh, higher levels of inattention in a group of kids associated with, uh, this is the Masaryk study, where they looked at kids with both ADHD and uh, autism spectrum disorders. Quickly speaking, I'm not talking about this today, the addiction piece, it's rare. About 3 to 8% of kids, adults for that matter, might qualify for what's called internet gaming disorder. It's a new category in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, fifth edition. However, there are plenty of kids who fit into the overuse category, Okay, that's not necessarily that 3 to 8%, but there are plenty of those kids, and certainly there are a higher percentage of those kids amongst kids with psychiatric issues, there's no question about it. So here are a couple of ideas about cautions about what we might do for, for kids who have these issues, uh, and a couple of, rec- you, know, you know, some strategies to use. I'm not really big on the idea of using video games and technology simply as a reward. As I was saying before, I think that digital play is an important part of children's play in the 21st century. However, in some instances, so so In other words, let me let me step back. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is that I don't want it to always be perceived as dessert. You know, okay, you can have your dessert after you eat your beans and your hamburger and your uh, potatoes and your salad. It's not just dessert. It's it, it's healthier than that. It's it, it can be pretty healthy. Let's maybe maybe we want to think about it as a as a as a yogurt with that's got some fruit in the bottom that's a little bit sweet. There's plenty of nutrition. I'd like to, and especially we can make games and technology what I call digitally nutritious. We can add some flavor, some nutrition to them and, and make it useful. So I don't like the idea of just using it as a reward. However, certainly for some kids with ADHD, with autism spectrum disorders, that's what we're gonna need to do, especially if those kids demonstrate to us that they can't use it responsibly. Or they can't take care of those other parts of their life, their other responsibilities, whether that's getting their homework done or just being engaged in other activities. If they can't do that on their own, and all they want to do is play video games, then sometimes we're forced to be using them as game, as, as as rewards. But I try to encourage parents to to not do that. I think that there are some better ways to use to use games and technologies. Uh, I want to just talk briefly about some of the newer technologies that come out. There are a lot of new technologies that are happening, going around. In fact, I just came back from St. Louis. I, had a, I was honored to be able to be a, one of the presenters at the International ADHD Conference that was just held last week. Uh, Chad plays a big role in that with a couple of the adult ADHD groups. Uh, while I was there, uh, I talked about brain training te- te- technologies and talked about a bunch of different ones. And there's a couple of really interesting things that are coming out now for kids with ADHD. There's some older programs such as Cogmed Working Memory, which can be helpful. Uh, I went to a couple of of workshops and provided some information about neurofeedback. There are some specific programs made for kids with ADHD, uh, like Play Attention and uh, Mightier, which is made by Neuromotion. Uh, Achille is developing a, 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 a project that at one point had been called project, project EVO, and now it's TLK 110, I believe. I don't have the number in front of me. But, it's a, but they're looking for FDA approval to use as a digital medicine for kids with ADHD. So that's a really interesting and fascinating piece of work. And, and all these have some pretty good research behind them. The question is going to be how well does that research and the improvements that we're seeing with these new tools generalized to the real world, and how well is it maintained? So those are st- still open-ended questions, but we're in the infancy of the kind of work on, on in, in these areas. Um, another another program called NeuroPlus has kind of developed some strategies as well, combining sort of biofeedback and neurofeedback. So there's some fascinating stuff on that. If anybody's interested uh, in that presentation, actually, you can find it. On our Learning Works for Kids website, I think it's LearningWorksForKids.com backslash ADHDCON, so like ADHD conference, but just ADHDCON, and you can get the all the slides from from that program, and that can tell you a lot about some of the different brain training programs that are out there, some of the newer things. It's it's really cool. So I, I wanted to tell people about a program that we're doing that's sort of helping to make that. Transition to help that lever to leverage the games and technologies into real world skills. One, so one of the things that we've done at Learning Works for Kids is we provide all this information to parents and to clinicians who come to the site to educators about how they can actually take that game playing and make it into real world skills. Well, a lot of parents are too busy to do that, or feel as if they don't know the games well enough. So what we've done is we've recently developed a new program that we call Learning Works Live. It's, it's and, and so. Learning Works Live is a program where we actually have our gamer guides who are experts in both the games and in executive functions, play games and use apps, and teach kids specific skills. So we're running workshops, online conference workshops. So the kids come online with us, and they work with us. And they have fun playing a game, but they're learning about organizational skills and learning about how they can use organizational skills in the real world. And then we teach them how to use an app and how to apply that app with a little bit of homework. The parents get some homework along with us to create some activities that the kids can use. Uh, these, are, these are ongoing programs. They're offered after school, so kids don't have to leave their houses for that. Uh, we also have a similar parallel set of programs where we actually bring kids on to play Minecraft with us, and the kids play Minecraft, and again, each each time they play, play with us, we have a specific goal. We'll have like a project that's based upon doing planning skills. We'll do a bunch of planning skills, and we'll talk about how we're using planning skills in the game, how they can apply those planning skills in the real world, and again, they get some homework. Sometimes their homework is playing Minecraft and doing another planning expedition, and their parents have some work as well that helps them to kind of talk about these things with the kids to help them, again, to translate or to leverage their game-based play into the real world. So if you're interested in that, what I would suggest you do is go to, Uh, learningworksforkids.com and then just put and I had a slide and we kind of lost it here it will say learningworksforkids.com then backslash learningworks dash live
0: at this time we'd like to go ahead and offer an opportunity for you all to ask any questions that you'd like to ask Dr. Coleman please feel free okay and so our first question for today Dr. Coleman comes from Patty Do you have any information that you can share with us regarding young adults?
1: Sure. So, uh, Patty, one of the things that we're doing with kids with young adults and thinking that it really makes sense is that many of these young adults need to learn how to use a variety of apps and tools to help them with school. And so, you know, for example, we. I'm a big believer that, and I've seen this with kids with ADHD, lots of kids with ADHD really struggle with their writing skills. They just have the hardest time in the world getting their thoughts onto paper. It takes them forever sometimes, causes incredible amounts of frustration. Uh, Then they have difficulty organizing their stuff. And so, for example, I'm a big believer that we want to teach them the technology skill of using dictation. So it's frequent that we'll see in a 504 plan or an IEP or something in school say, oh, give the, get the kid the dragon dictation and that's it that doesn't help at all what they need to do is they need to learn to use dragon dictation and i don't mean to speak into dragon dictation so dragon dictation understands the actual words that you're saying you need to learn how to speak in sentences you need to learn how to speak in paragraphs you need how to to learn to be able to then organize your thoughts so one of the things that we've done and we have some stuff on the site now and we you know we we we've done this with, with kids in our office, and, we, and, we, and one of our Learning Works Live programs is going to be on dictation, teaching kids how to use dictation. Now, I don't expect a child, a young adult, to learn dictation skills and all of a sudden become a good writer. But for those kids who really struggle with it, if we can get them to be able to brainstorm, if we can get them to be able to write basic paragraphs, and then maybe get a parent or an educator or, an, or a, a peer to help them to edit and to organize their thoughts, then they can go someplace with it. So there's a lot of little tricks that we've learned. So for example, one of the things we teach kids to do is to have somebody ask them questions about something. And then they answer the question in the form of a sentence. Who is your favorite character in the book? My favorite character in the book was blah, blah, blah. Boom, all of a sudden you've got a full sentence. So we're trying to teach kids it. So, so that's just one example of using dictation tools. But there's a bunch of other great tools and apps that are out there. A couple of my favorite ones are Notability. That's a fantastic tool for kids with working memory and processing speed issues. Uh, it, you know, for those of you who want to learn more about kids with slow processing speed, I'm in the process of writing a book about that. And But in the meantime, there's a pile of articles about slow processing speed. Again, pretty common in kids with ADHD on the, on the Learning Works for Kids website, and I appreciate if you could share those with other people as well. But we, we find a, there's a bunch of apps that, like that that can help with processing speed as well because they can help kids just to get a little faster, be a little bit more organized, get started on tasks a little bit easier. So so those are a couple of ideas.
0: Thank you, Dr. Coleman. Our next question is from Davey. It says, uh, for kids right now who have inattentive ADHD, what is the best way to set some boundaries for the video games or phone games so then they don't become distracted from things like homework or family time.
1: Oof, that's the that's the big question. Getting distracted from games and technologies is is enormous. So, uh, part of that is that you know I I I would say that part of the answer to that has to do with the age of the child. So with younger kids, it's a little bit easier because you've got more control. You know, you can they don't they don't they don't have cell phones yet. Although I'm starting to see. You know, seven and eight year olds with cell phones in my office. I roll my eyes but that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know so for younger kids I think it's a little bit easier and a lot of a lot of times you know what we need to do with those kids is 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 make sure they're just not in that place where those kind of technologies are available uh, as they're doing things. Although there's this long-standing misconception and, and some of some of the parents who are here recognize this already that kids with ADHD are going to get their homework done, they're going to be able to focus better in complete silence. Well, that doesn't always work. And for, in fact, for a lot of kids, that doesn't work. And one of the technologies that actually can be very helpful for kids with ADHD and having them, having them have it around their homework is certain kinds of music. So, for example, some kids can really do better if they have classical music, some kind of background music, just to kind of fill in the space a little bit. So, that's kind of one of the ways of using technology. With those kids, but I think with younger kids, it's really a question of just being able to set limits and setting those up right away. For older kids, it's much more difficult. For older kids, I mean, part of the problem for for older kids and even for, for now middle school kids is so much of their homework is done online. Uh, you know, many kids who go to schools now where they are either bringing their own devices or they have Chromebooks or iPads or whatever what it is that you know everybody's got you know everybody has their own device. Is that when you're on those devices? It's really easy to go someplace else. Uh, almost any adult who works on a computer knows that happens to them all the time. So it, it, I think it's it, it's something that that is is worth looking at. Although, actually, let me give you a, kind of just a quick aside for some of you adults who, who find yourself doing that because I do it too. Okay. Okay. I recently got myself a standing desk. Now I don't. There's no science behind this, so. I know NRC is supposed to be all about science, and there's no science behind this, so I want to warn you. But I recently got myself a standing desk, and I've noticed that when I'm working at my standing desk, I usually am working much more than I might be when I'm sitting at my desk, like I am right now. My sitting desk—I have one. I have one of each, actually. Uh, when I'm at my sitting desk and I'm doing some work on the computer, I get—I'm easily distracted. I don't know if it, the mouse is just easier for me to use or whatever it is. So. If any of you have that opportunity to try out a standing desk and see if it helps you see if it's just something that happened to me but or maybe there's something to that process of standing change, changing the, your posture that might help you to, to get away from that yeah. but aside from that so there are a lot of things that younger people can do on the computer there are programs that one can get to keep them from getting distracted when they're doing computer-based homework one of the coolest things to come out in the last maybe six months is that both Apple and uh, Google for, for the Android devices has come up with like screen time programs for their phones. The Apple one goes not only to stays on the phone, but you can actually move it over from your phone to iPads and to other uh, Mac devices so that you can kind of limit when people can, when, when, when the person can get on, To certain kinds of games or technologies or certain kinds of websites. You actually can structure that so that so that even if your child is on their you know iPad doing their homework, they can't get to certain things at different times. And and or they can have certain limits on the amount of time. It's really cool stuff. Takes a little while to figure out how to program it, but it's really cool and it's and it's a way that parents can do that. The way I would suggest doing that, by the way, is not doing that unilaterally, especially with the older kids. I'm talking about you know, kids 12 and up, but that having a conversation with them. You know, having ki- trying to give them a little bit of autonomy, a little bit of a, a sense of this, because they're gonna have to learn how to do this on their own, too. So you're not gonna be able to be there all the time, but if you can kind of work with them to figure that out, that can be really worthwhile, and I think that's a, that's a really good starting place.
0: Yes, that's an excellent tip, Dr. Coleman. Thank you so much for that, which kind of leads us into our next question. Uh, um, Selvina who's asking how much video game time would you suggest for a teenager? I know you mentioned earlier in your presentation of an hour a day but would that also hold true for teenagers?
1: So so let's let's just take that hour a day for a little, for a little bit okay so when I say an hour a day I say to myself as I'm saying this out loud I because I've said this many times I'm not always sure that that's realistic for kids who are gamers there are a lot of kids who want to play more than that. So, that, and that hour a day, that, that data does come from, uh, you know, uh, teenagers. I think for the most part the kids were like 14, 15, 16. However, I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I think that, that it, for kids who love gaming, an hour a day may not be enough for them. Part of this is also to kind of examine and to look at what else are they doing. And as I was saying earlier, my bigger concern is that the child has a healthy and balanced play diet. So if you've got a kid who's getting you know, A's and B's in the school or, and doing their work, getting their homework done, if you've got a kid who's on a sports team, if you've got a kid who is engaged with his peers or her peers, if you've got a kid who does family things, uh, you know, doesn't isolate themselves, but is pretty efficient with their time and they can spend a couple of hours a day you know, playing video games and on the weekends spend three hours a day and, or hanging out with their friends doing it for a good part of the afternoon. I'm not terribly worried about that child. That child sounds like they've got a pretty healthy balance of activities, uh, of getting school done and things like that. My concern is really the kids where that's not happening, where they're spending so much time, where they're spending you know, two, three, four hours a day, and, and their kids have spent a lot more than that. And what what we what, what we've actually seen and this this is fascinating stuff dating back even early into the early 2000s Russell Barkley and uh, I forget the person's name Fisher I forget her first name I, I want to say Barbara but I don't think that's what it is uh, did a study and, they, and it's an ongoing study of, of, of uh, young teenagers and now now young adults in Milwaukee and what they found is that well for the, well if you took the summation of everybody they seem to spend about the same amount of time as other people did with games and technology. There was a subset of that group of uh, people with ADHD who spent an excessive amount of time, much more so than most other people. And I and I think that we run that risk. I mean, we know, for example, that kids with kids and adults with ADHD tend to be uh, people who have more addictions. They tend to get more involved in overly engaged in certain kinds of activities. So that we have to be more careful with them. But I'm not I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not worried whether that's a one hour or two hours. The older the kid gets, the more freedom, the more autonomy they should have for doing this, the more likely they they they, they more likely they need the technology. Not 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 so much for playing video games, but for communicating with their peers. Although for many teenagers part of their communication with their peers is say playing Call of Duty with their buddies after school. And that's what they do, this is how they communicate. And they're talking to each other, so it's not, you know, they're playing the game, but they're also, they are also they're have headsets on and they're talking to each other, so there's an engagement with that. So, you know, I, I think that the question becomes a, a personal one about, you know, when does it become accessible. I also believe that different families have different sensibilities around these kinds of things. I, I You know, as much as it would be nice to have one si- size fit all, that's probably not the case. So, you have to take a look at yourself and your own sensibilities. You have to take a look at, you know, how you use technologies in your own home. You have to take a look at, is your child still doing things with you? Keep in mind that, you know, teenagers are gonna want to establish their own lives and not do so much with their parents. Don't worry, they get over that and they want, they'll be interested in doing things with you again as they get older.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Coleman. We're coming to our last question and then we'll um, get ready to wrap it up. This one is from Amal. Amal would like to know, what uh, tips and strategies could you give us to help from transitioning from screen time into other tasks at home?
1: So one of the big things that helps with transitioning is talking to kids, and not talking to kids while they're playing, but talking to kids uh, before they're playing, watching the kids before they're playing, recognizing and understanding the types of games and technologies that the kids are using. For example, there are some team games. For example, if a kid has to leave in the middle of it, they're really hurting their team and uh, that's not a good thing for them, and they feel badly about that as well. So you need to know sort of a little bit more about the games and technologies. Once you know a little bit about that, and and you and the child sitting down to the, you can also have a discussion about the specific game that they're playing at that time, or what they're doing, trying to help them to tell you what goals they're going to set and how they're going to stop it. So that's that is you know one of the things that can be really helpful with the transitions. Now, mind you. This is a really difficult issue because this is, you know, the kids are engaged and involved. And and we know that transitions are not easy for kids with ADHD. I mean, you know, if we take a kid with ADHD and put them in the classroom and they finally get going on their math homework uh, and maybe they don't like doing it, but then they'll have to change and go to do something else, they don't like to do that either. So, but video games obviously are a little bit more engaging and more enticing. So I think that the first thing is to really have some communication about them. The the second one is to have a way to actually set a limit without kind of going there and pulling the plug. One of the the things you can do is you can have some of these kinds of tools, for example now the new Apple tools and the new Google tools are are there. There are also a number of other screen-based programs that basically allow the kid to play for a certain amount of time and the kids in charge of it they can see it they're not in charge of setting the amount of time but they can see it. so the timer is not used shutting off it's just happening because and the child knows that they, they may not have agreed to it but this is this is what they're doing. Uh, I also think that transitioning is helped by making sure that you know when the child is playing games and technologies, is at a time when transitioning to something else makes sense to them. So maybe it's dinner time, so that they they've got to come to, din- you know, to dinner. Helping them to to think about those kinds of things as well. Uh, it helps if the child's not tired. Uh, I, I'd al- I'd also for those for those of you who may have kids who take ADHD medications, uh, I would not want to be transitioning when the medications are wearing off because it can be some rebound effects. So. Um, there's a bunch of things like that. I've actually written a few of those, a few articles about this. I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple of ideas that we've come up with in, in the past, and some articles that I've written at learningworksforkids.com as well. So you might be able to find some additional information there.
0: Thank you, thank you so much, Dr. Coleman. Well, everyone, that is our time. You can go to our website and find out more information about our upcoming events. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you, Dr. Coleman. You gave us excellent information. I'd like to say thank you for joining us and taking the time out today.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you.